Hello and welcome to the iChiefs podcast series brought to you by the International Association of Fire Chiefs. This is a podcast series not only for our members within the IAFC, but really for any fire service leader who wants to learn about engaging topics to our industry, innovation, leadership skills, and all the other emerging subjects that are important in our arena. I'm Tom Jenkins, Fire Chief of the City of Rogers, Arkansas, and a past IAFC president. And I'm Sheldon Gilbert, former Fire Chief of the Alameda County, California Fire Department, and now ESCI Chief Development and Strategy Officer at the IAFC. We're glad you're here because this podcast is designed for you, the fire and EMS community. Before we start this week's topic, make sure to check out our library of episodes at iafc.org slash podcasts and subscribe to our podcast series at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you think the content is great, be sure to share it with your crew and give us a good rating or a thumbs up. Hi, I'm Tom Jenkins, one of the co-hosts of the iChiefs podcast series. Happy to be coming together today with my co-host, Sheldon Gilbert, and we're talking about, I think, uh, a, a topic that impacts everybody, and that holistically is, is communications on emergency scenes, whether they be large-scale disasters or the, the normal types of emergencies that fire departments across the country respond to every day. In particular, we're talking about FirstNet and what FirstNet has brought to the fire service in terms of communication, interoperability, the ability to, to share real-time information, not just in, in terms of voice communication, but in the sharing of video and data. And it's a timely topic in that FirstNet uh, has its beginnings in the after action report and the commission's report on the disaster of September the 11th, 2001. Sheldon, would you like to introduce our guest? Yeah, thanks, Tom, and, and I'm I'm very excited. What a timely topic as we come up on the the anniversary of of, of 9/11, and and uh, you know there's been a lot of work done administratively and politically, operationally, and financially to get this what they call the public safety VIP lane, a broadband network, and we're real excited and privileged to have um, Richard Carrizo, Fire Chief Richard Carrizo, with us today. And I've had the privilege of working closely with Richard in, in many different capacities over six-plus years, and I've always found the experience to be enlightening and, 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 and educational and pleasant. And so I'm super glad to have our friend here, Richard. Uh, Chief Carrizo has been in the fire service over 38 years, longtime member of the IAFC. Um, and, and, Chief, why don't we start with you maybe explaining your experience with FirstNet and how you were selected to be on the board for the FirstNet Authority as, as a board member. What does that mean? And, and why is it important to have you there? Well, certainly, and I appreciate you having me on today. And It is very important with the 20th anniversary coming up of 9-11 and uh, just my heartfelt prayers to all the families that continue on and suffer still through 9-11 and all those that uh, not only just public safety, but all those that perish that day, too. So uh, this is just one stepping stone uh, as we move forward. So, uh, yeah, certainly, but I, I do appreciate you all having me on today. And uh, great hearing from both of you. Uh, so uh, the, the authority is made up of a board of directors of 15 individuals. Uh, three are actually set by the law, and they are the Attorney General of the United States, the Secretary of Homeland Security, and the Director 
uh, from the Office of Management and Budget that are the fixed positions. And then there's 12 other individuals that sit on the board that are appointed by the Department of Commerce Secretary. And they, they make up a cross-section of experience of both public safety, business, and technology. And so how an individual gets on the board is a natural ad goes out through the federal government uh, looking for candidates to sit on that board. And about four and a half years ago, there was an open position. A position hadn't been filled on the board uh, for that. And so I already knew there were some public safety officials on there, both fire, sheriff, police, and EMS. And so I really just applied as a individual citizen um, looking to possibly get on into the future. And at that time, you, you go through a normal hiring process just as you do with any other job, and you apply as an individual and through the government and then um, send in letters of reference from individuals, agencies, uh, associations, whoever you think could help you uh, with that process. But it's really an individual basis, and each of the board members are from representing their own self on this uh, board. And so th that's kind of how it started. Is, um, it was a lengthy hiring process, um, took almost 12 months, and then was notified that after many interview processes, full federal FBI backgrounds, et cetera. That, that's great, Chief. And tell me a little bit about why is it important to be there? What, what does the board do? What, what is Certainly. their responsibilities, oh, yeah. and how does that impact the broadband? Certainly. So um, hopefully most of your listeners know, but the uh, FirstNet Authority was really created, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, from the Middle Class Tax Relief Job and Creation Act that uh, President Obama signed in 2012. That really started, uh, or that got to where, to the signature from President Obama really after 9-11 with the 9-11 Commission that was uh, put forth and tasked with to find out uh, how to improve what had happened during those events uh, that day and, and into the future. And so part of that was the interoperability that took place uh, on that scene. So not only did you have many agencies coming in from the city, the surrounding areas and states, and then, as we know, many freelance people came throughout the United States into New York City, but nobody could communicate with each other. Nobody of the locals could communicate each, with each other. And then you had cell networks that were just being overpowered from everybody using their phones, just as no different than today when uh, you go to a sporting event at an arena or a concert and you try to send some videos or send a text and your phone bogs down uh, because everybody's eating the bandwidth. So that's kind of how it got created was uh, how do we make a public safety broadband network that's strictly for public safety? And that's kind of where the uh, what was known as the D-block came into effect. So I was very um, involved in working on trying to get this spectrum uh, through as a board member of IFC. So all of public safety really came together as one. And as you two know is – it doesn't take much. All you have to do is give a task to public safety, and they're after it, and they're not going to stop till they figure out how to get it. And that's kind of what took place. It wasn't a fire service thing. It wasn't a police thing. It wasn't an EMS thing. It was all public safety trying to figure out which, how to create one network that could only be operated 
by first responders and public safety. And that's kind of where the D-Block came in and how we created the uh, middle-class tax relief bill. And so after that was signed, uh, that law allocated $7 billion and 20 megahertz of broadband spectrum strictly for public safety. So what took place then after this was developed was to figure out how to get a uh, first net authority board moving on this project and how to create uh, from zero to where we are today. So, I mean, if you think of back of 2012 when this law was adopted, there was no first net authority. It was created, but there were no individuals that were working there, uh, no board, et cetera, and it was all developed from scratch. And so now today we have, I believe it's a little over 200 employees that work at FirstNet, a full board of directors that have been in place for a few years. Uh, different board of directors have come. Uh, uh, the terms have come, have gone, new board members. So we've gone from the start to continuing the build out of the network. So really one of the main functions of uh, the responsibilities of the board is to ensure that the building, the deployment, and the operations of the nationwide public safety broadband network is done. Um, and how that was done was with one of the early boards as they sent out RFPs through the government and developed a partnership with our partner, AT&T. Um, many in the public safety field know that as FirstNet, er, First AT&T. A lot of people get confused between FirstNet, AT&T, because everybody just calls it FirstNet, and first net the authority. The authority is the dot gov, and they are the board of directors that ensures the building and the development. So they're the overseers of the contract, basically, with the partner, first net AT&T. Um, basically, the big thing is, is that we uphold the contract with the vendor, AT&T, and then as the money comes back into the government side of it, Investments have to be done by the law, and our job is to figure out how we take those dollars and reinvest into the system to continue to build it out, make it better. Uh, one thing that we've always seen and we preach is that this network was developed by first responders for first responders. It is still that way today. Our board of directors, even though we have technology people on there, business people on there, they only have one task, and that is to ensure that public safety people and first responders have the best network. And I can't speak highly enough for the board of directors that, that continue to preach this. Um, nobody's in this for themselves. They are in it to make public safety have a communications network into the future and continue to build it out. You gave me some flashback there, Rich, here in D-Block. <laughs> and and you made me you made me remember really what what I mean this has been a heavy lift for I mean like you said all public safety organizations heavy. but definitely the the IAFC I think has been front and center through this and you were if if I remember correctly and you may have said it and maybe I missed it but you, there is you know by law one of the representatives is a fire representative and you are the fire rep on the First Net Authority board right. Well, it, 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 the way it's written is that it's public safety. You have to have public safety background. It doesn't say one fire, one PD, one EMS, one sheriff. It, it, the way okay. it is is public safety. But they try to get a big, broad branch of that 
so like on our board today, we have a police department official. We have a fire official myself that represents fire service in the fire community. We have an EMS person and we have, um, we had a sheriff that just stepped off the board earlier this year. So, so we have this wide gamut of individuals. We also have a 911 uh, director, uh, retired 911 director that sits on our board also. So it, it's not, when you look at public safety and first responders, you got to remember it's also the 911 operators all the way out um, to the people in the field. Well, that makes sense, and I uh, I think you do a fantastic job representing us. So let's pivot for a second, because I think a lot of people have had some question about, you know, AT&T and FirstNet, and it's good to know the history and the structure. But this is the 20th anniversary this year, and coming up, you know, really uh, corresponding with the release of this particular podcast will be, you know, we're in the 20th anniversary of what happened on September the 11th, and there's there's many fire service leaders who may not – um, realize that, that this this you know public safety broadband network began uh, as a result of of maybe what didn't happen on September the 11th in terms of technology communications data interoperability having some of the things that we do today so no doubt that we've closed some gaps and that we're better prepared and we're able to operate in an arena that we weren't always able to. But I'm curious from your perspective as a as a rep on the FirstNet Authority Board, what challenges in communication still exist? What's left undone that, that we need to continue to to work together and chip away at in this, you know, this this category of communications and technology? Well, I'll start with the easy one or what I think is the easy one, or I would have thought it was the easier one over time. And and that was getting people to even understand what the FirstNet broadband network is. Uh, we still have people out there today that do not understand why they should be on the FirstNet broadband network that was created for them. Uh, it is a single, by itself, one core. The core is only for public safety people, and that includes public works individuals also. Uh, school districts. Um, it, it's a wide variety, but we have so many public safety officials that still don't understand it. And I will be the first one to say, and every board member says this, is that going on to FirstNet may not be the right time for you today, but it will be at some point, which takes me to my next issue, is that we still, if you can believe, there are still issues with coverage. Uh, there are still areas in the United States that you would think would be fully covered uh, either through a cell system, a broadband system. I'm not talking about FirstNet. I'm just talking about basic uh, or, or other carriers. And even in metro areas, um, when you drive out, it, it, sometimes you don't have cell coverage. I, I was just talking to somebody who had left Phoenix um, and was driving through the state, and he was explaining that he was without cell service for over two and a half hours during his drive. That is still an issue for all public safety when you don't have coverage, let alone if you're on the first net network and don't have coverage. There are still gaps and holes within the United States that uh, we're diligently working with our partner on, 
uh, the United States government's working on, and that's to ensure that everybody has coverage. Um, and, and our key is, is to ensure that everybody that wants to be and can be on the first net network has coverage United States wide, along with our territories. That's a great that's a great segue. Um, also speaks to the importance of infrastructure, and I know there's a bill Correct. pending in Congress that that would start to address some of those uh, underlying issues you talked about, just getting the coverage and the footprint out there so that you can overlay the FirstNet uh, band, uh, broadband network. And and so, you know, you, you brought up earlier that, you know, public safety in general is all about give us the control objectives and we'll make it happen. And certainly there was a significant amount of um, retrospective analysis done on 9-11. And there was a lot of lessons learned and a lot of solutions found. Um, Maybe our listeners might really like to know if you had to try to encapsulate how public safety communications have changed since 9-11 over the past 20 years, can you synopsize what you think are some of the major achievements and some of the major improvements that certainly uh, FirstNet has been a platform for? Certainly. That's a big question, too. But um, foremost, and that's what the, it was all set up for, was interoperability. And that is that when you go on the FirstNet network, you have interoperability. Everybody that you need to talk to on the FirstNet network that's on the FirstNet network, you can talk to, whether they live in New Jersey and Missouri, Texas, California, wherever they live, they can talk to each other today. That would be the biggest hurdle. Uh, with, with that, uh, with communications changes, and that would be with FirstNet, the priority and the preemption. So when you go on to... FirstNet network, you are the priority, and you can set or somebody can set for you uh, a level of priority that changes and can be adjusted with each incident. One of the thing, one of the things that I think some people, I, you kind of get lost with you on, Rich, is that you're a FirstNet board member, and so you know that that brings some responsibility, some knowledge, some awareness that those of us that don't that are not in that role, we would never have that. And so I appreciate how you explain it. Then, then of course, you've been involved. You've been a soldier in the in the program of FirstNet through your service. Uh, you, know, you used to be a director for the Mo Valley, serving on the IFC board. You uh, were a long-term treasurer, of course. So, I mean, you have been uh, in the trenches, so to speak, and and supporting uh, legislation and changes that impact it. But your mortgage-paying job is your uh, fire chief for Southern Platte Fire Protection District. Uh, just outside of Kansas City, Missouri, and so I'm I'm curious in your in your own department and in, in such a vibrant and growing community, how has that network improved operations? What have you seen and your 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 women and men there seen in terms of improvement uh, with communications? Well, as you can imagine, we were early adopters of FirstNet. Um, I do have an individual that runs all of our IT and communications program, and so I try to stay out of it because of my role in ethics uh, on FirstNet and let him make those decisions, and actually he takes those straight to my board of directors, and uh, he knew this was a, a program that needed to be adopted very early on. So what's been helpful is in the Kansas City metro area, it is a region. It is two states. Uh, it's a bi-state, we call it, region, uh, both Kansas and Missouri. And everybody for years has done everything together. So as we adopted early, we saw many changes and opportunities. Uh, you know, some of us will remember the old Nextel uh, system with the push to talk. 
and that that has slowly evolved out of FirstNet to back, I guess you could call it if you want to say back, but uh, mission critical push to talk has been adopted now and is one of the benchmarks that FirstNet needs to be doing and has done now and adopted that. And so we we were a beta site early to try the push to talk. And I can speak for our company officers. They loved it. These are, as you, as we all know, as uh, generations have changed since Nextel was around, and most of these people don't have any idea what Nextel was. So when they had the opportunity to go to push to talk, uh, they adopted it pretty quickly. So we use it on a day-to-day basis. Uh, we use it for our uh, systems in our truck. Uh, all, all our apparatus have it inside. And our Wi-Fi is set up through FirstNet um, because we believe so strongly in priority and preemption. Uh, we are in Tornado Alley, so uh, it, it's not a matter of uh, when the tornado comes because we know it will come, um, and, and we want to be prepared. I, I have always said from day one is I don't want to be the fire chief, the police chief, or any other official that has to answer to an elected body that says, uh, you knew this was available and you didn't jump on it. Why is that? Um, so with that at Southern Platte, we've also seen the push of into the region. And so we have many agencies um, from law enforcement, EMS, and fire that adopted also early. And uh, a, a big difference, you know, it's easy to – I laugh a little bit, but uh, a good example is when the Royals won the World Series. Uh, FirstNet wasn't around, and so when you had all of these hundreds of thousands of people that came to the parade and the celebration downtown of Kansas City, because, again, it's not people from Kansas City coming. It's a bi-state area, and so you have hundreds of thousands of people coming in for this event, and it just locked down the cell phone system. So on a personal basis, um, I stayed home, worked, and my family had gone down to the parade. And somehow during the parade, uh, my wife had gotten separated from the children. And one of the children were able to call me and say, we lost mom. And that was the last communication I had until they all arrived home about six hours later, because I could never get back on to any type of commercial network to find out if they found each other, where they were, nothing. Um, send that years ahead uh, to 2019 with FirstNet and the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. The same type of event happens, the big parade. Uh, FirstNet came in, put up deployables prior to the parade. They worked with the city on this, and um, there were no communications issues with first responders. There were with the Royals because FirstNet didn't exist. Um, they were operating on the radio system that was in place, it failed because of overcoverage, and then we have the parade and celebration for the Chiefs, and everything worked flawlessly. So, so those are some examples just of how the network has worked, uh, just in the Kansas City region and for us at Southern Platte. Hey, that's good stuff. First of all, I'll give you kudos for throwing down the professional athletic prowess of your region and your champions. Well, I will. Yeah. <laughs> Those that know me know that, I will always awesome. throw down for the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs. <laughs> there you go. Um, 
And, and certainly the importance of it working at an operational level, both at your local jurisdictional and regional level, that's, that's hugely important um, and important for us to understand. And, and I know this was born out of what we would call an incident of national consequence. So if I, if I fast forward and, and, and talk to you for a minute about what are the incidents of national consequence we're seeing in the last 24 months, two things obviously come to mind. Obviously COVID-19 yeah. and the pandemic, and probably the last, well, last five years, but certainly the last two years of wildland fires and wildfires in, in the western region and the, the tragic Correct. loss that we're seeing out there. So how does this fit into those incidents of national consequence uh, post 9-11? How, how does this work? Certainly. Um, so I'll start with wildland fires, and I know you're very familiar, uh, Sheldon, coming from California. So you know, it, it isn't it isn't a wildland season any longer, and it doesn't affect just the West Coast. It, it's year round, and it affects the entire United States. And we talked earlier in this podcast about coverage, and how there are areas, and I get it. It, it doesn't make sense for in a business model of uh, to cover areas that have no people, but. Having no people does not stop wildland fires from devastating those areas and for first responders having to respond into those areas. So one of the, one of the high items that uh, FirstNet has done and FirstNet AT&T is the reinvestments. And so our reinvestments, uh, part of it was to go for deployables and coverage. So uh, recently we just even added more to the deploy. So we have a little over 100 deployables. And what a deployable is, is a deployable is we have numerous different types, and those are what you've probably heard of as the SAT Colts. We also have the Flying Colts. We have drone-type devices that are hooked. Um, and most recently, we have the new compact deployable uh, unit. And so the compact deployable unit, I, I was able to – for some of the wildland fires last fall um, from Northern California all the way up into uh, Northern Oregon. And we were able to stop and see some of these compact units as they were being tested. And a compact unit just fits like in the back of a pickup or uh, can attach to a tailgate type pitch. And you just take those and move them and it takes minutes to set up and you have first net antenna, basically, that's going to help uh, all the first responders. And as wildland fires change directions, these deployables can change directions. You're not counting on a larger truck unit that has to have a driver and, uh, you know, a special driver that has to move this unit and get it into a tight spot. For the compact units, you just need a, a, an SUV-type unit and drives four-wheel drive up into the area and sets it up in minutes. So, so we've seen a lot of changes with that. Um, with the wildland fires, FirstNet just did a white paper study, basically, and some definitely key takeaways that came out of it that I think every listener needs to know. And uh, I, I hope the listeners even forward the paper on to others that didn't listen today. But they need to know how to get a deployable is probably the key first is how do you order a deployable for a wildland incident or any type of incident? And first of all, that to me, that would be, you need to practice that. Uh, our region was able to, we have what's called the Garmin, uh, Garmin manufacturers from the Kansas city area. 
they do a marathon every year, and the fire department that covers them decided to practice this in ordering a deployable prior to a race. And so AT&T's very much into this and wants you to know how to order deployables. Um, they are a free asset for all FirstNet subscribers. And so an agency just needs to, most importantly, know how to get one. Uh, next would be how do you add um, in your communications plan, whether it's communications plans for incidents or whether you have SOGs that have communications plans in them, but how does FirstNet tie into those plans? You, you need to know ahead of time before the incident. I talked earlier about tornadoes, and it's not a matter of uh, where the tornado is. It's going to be when it is. It, it is we know what's happening. We need to be prepared. Um, you know, it's always you, you fight to train, train to fight, always, and, and this is no different. And then you need to always make sure that your devices are up to date. Um, the software is always up to date, just like you do with your computer. You need to make sure the same things are happening um, in your own agencies with your own devices. And then your employees need to know how to use every device. So whether you're using hotspots, whether you're using handheld devices, whether you're using mission-critical push-to-talk devices, all your employees need to know how to use it. And then we talked earlier also about uh, FirstNet Central and, and how to up your priority and preemption um, on every device within an incident or a geo area. Uh, you need to have somebody that's either within your agency, your city, your district, et cetera, that is always responsible for that but knows how to use that software. The last thing that you need to happen is uh, the event to happen, the weather event to happen, the wildland fire to happen, and you don't have anybody that quite understands how to use the software. Um, as we move on to COVID, uh, FirstNet's been very proactive with COVID uh, throughout the whole two years almost, we're, you know, what we're at uh, approaching. So, you know, we have, we've done a lot of deployables to testing sites at the very beginning, uh, because as you can imagine with uh, it's no different than we talked about the the sports events or the concerts. Is as first responders can't use the radio system, um, devices were provided at testing sites. The toilets were set up. That's still happening at vaccine sites when the vaccines were overrun with the public and commercial sites were going down. FirstNet was there also. We've done a lot of connections with the uh, tribal working groups. Um, of America, and so they have their own issues, but we've been able to assist them with uh, hospital locations and makeshift hospitals that were set up for the, uh, the rural and the tribal locations. Um, we're constantly actively working with their public safety agencies and figuring out the best communication plans for them with FirstNet, and we talked a little bit about one of our board members being um, retired 911 director. 911, as you can imagine with COVID, uh, they're the first ones getting the call. And it was no different than the rest of America is, can they go into work or not work? And there were many operators of 911 systems that were actually operating out of their homes and answering 911 calls. So they were worked with and set up with devices, et cetera, so that uh, 911 systems could still operate, 
uh, under a 911, or excuse me, under a FirstNet uh, umbrella, and that dispatchers had that ability to continue to talk to first responders. So, you know, as now, excuse me, as COVID continues and as we see more upticks, uh, FirstNet has been very important for all pers- first responders, uh, especially from the EMS side, fire side, and making sure that everybody can continue to communicate. Well, that is uh, that's amazing. I think that the you have so many adaptations of that technology, but I guess it shouldn't come as a surprise that. You know, as a fire chief myself, I see that how we use technology and how it, it's kind of been woven into everything we do, um, it's a change of business model for fire departments and, of course, EMS agencies and really anybody in public safety. So I appreciate you going through that. Now, as as we wrap up our, our chat today, Rich, uh, you and I both know that we get, we get a lot of people, hundreds, sometimes over a 1,000 people that download our podcast and they listen and I've I've said in presentations and talks that I've done before that I think sometimes fire chiefs are a little allergic to technology. And it's still this is one of the few professions where you have leaders who are still uh slow to uh, adopt these things, slow to understand the why and the how. And so for the listeners out there that 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 may not understand the granularity of, of everything we've gone through and FirstNet and how it came from. What could you, what, if, it, if you had one wish and you could just to, it, to insert some data and insert some information into fire chiefs' minds across this country about FirstNet, what do you wish those, those chiefs or those fire service leaders, what do you wish they knew about FirstNet in a few words? Um, first nobody's trying to sell you a service or they shouldn't be trying to sell you a service, especially from the .gov side of it. It is set up to make communications, broadband network issues easier and simpler for you as a public safety official. Um, There are so many people that still don't quite understand how it works and it may not be the right time for you today to get on that. We all have budgetary issues. Uh, It may not make sense to change carriers, but when you don't change carriers and you have the service, uh, I've never really heard too many people say, oh, my goodness, I went on FirstNet and I'm leaving it because X. We just don't hear that. We all hear my gosh, I would have go, wish I would have gone on it sooner because it's provided so many more opportunities for me, and I don't have communication issues anymore. Um, but like I said, it may not be the right time for you today to get on that. Uh, but nobody should be selling you a service. You need to make a decision that this is what we need for all of our first responders. This is what I need for my employees. I need priority. I need preemption. I need mission critical push to talk. If I have a tornado that goes through and or a hurricane and all of my towers go down, am I able to get a deployable from XYZ Corporation that has my cell service today? Or, you know, you have a lot of examples or decisions to make on the data. And I would suggest uh, if you're not sure, do a little bit of research. 
talk, talk to your neighbors. Talk to others in the uh, IFC field. We know that IFC is nothing but a humongous network of individuals that are willing to provide you information. Reach out. Get online. Ask questions. Go to at and site. Go to firstnet.gov site and do a little bit of research and determine if it's right for you. If it's not, don't do it today. Wait until it's right for your agency. Well, today we've been visiting with Fire Chief Richard Carrizo, who also serves as a public safety representative on the FirstNet Authority Board. Uh, Rich, on the behalf of Sheldon and I, thanks for spending some time with us and, and talking to us about what we've improved in this industry regarding communication, broadband technology, on this 20th anniversary of September the 11th. I've certainly enjoyed having you on today, so thank you for carving out some time. No, I appreciate being on. And, uh, very important subject. To our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, talking to Richard Carrizo, Chief Richard Carrizo, about FirstNet. Be sure to follow us and like us uh, wherever you obtain this podcast. Stay tuned for more important and innovative episodes in the months to come. Thanks. 